Greetings, Princeps, and welcome to the 26th episode of the God Engine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus Wargame, produced by Games Workshop. In today's show, I am going to be concluding my coverage of the Legio Astorum, the Warpreneurs, with a conversation with renowned hobbyist, Henry Chow. We cover his experiences using the Legion, and then follow on with a conversation about the whole game as a whole and his experiences with it. It's a really entertaining conversation, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I had did recording it. So anyway, let's get on with the rest of the show. Attention, Princeps. The God Machine cast needs your help. Long-time listeners of this show will have noticed something different about this week. The ad support I was getting has ended, and as such, at the moment, you won't be hearing any ads. At this time, there is no other ads I could run, if even if I'd wanted to. And this is a bit of a shame, as I was using the small amount of funds from these ads to cover some of the costs associated with this podcast. So once again, I want to direct folk to my Ko-Fi page. It can be found at ko-fi.com slash godenginecast. This site allows for folks to make small donations that help cover any additional costs that would come up. I would love to have enough funds put together for me to go out and subscribe to some additional pieces of technology that would help me produce this show, and perhaps even get an artist in to make a good show logo. It's something I've played around trying to do, but I haven't quite got it down. Anyway. I don't urgently need any funds at the moment, but I could change very quickly. There are numerous bits of technology I use that if they were to break would make production of this show very hard. Anyway, if you can't do that, and even if you can do that, one of the best ways to help me at the moment is to review this show on your podcasting app of choice. Reviews help the algorithms point other people in the direction of this show. and. I would love to have a bigger audience. In theory, a larger audience will make it easier for me to get more ad-supported money eventually. So, if you can go out and leave a review, you are helping me as much as if you were giving me a donation. So, yeah. Okay. If you have any questions about the show, you want to leave questions for me to answer in the show, or you have comments or feedback, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. I'm not that active on Twitter, but I have a pretty good Facebook page. Uh, just reach out to me there. I'm the God Engine Cast. At Twitter, I'm at Cast Engine. Anyway, thank you all for the help so far. What I've got from the people has meant a lot to me. And uh, we'll get on with the show. Before we get on to the main show, it's time to cover some news. First up, Forge World and Games Workshop have released the Ursus Core and Shark Clans for the Warhounds. It's really good to see these kits finally available. I'm still debating about whether I'm going to pick them up myself. They're available at the time I'm recording this, and they're sitting in a cart, and I'm really giving it some long, hard thoughts. My reservation is that I don't think my Fire Moths really need these weapons, but there's a nagging part of me that's looking at starting a traitor force. And yeah, they could be useful for them. Games Workshop did present an engine kill article this week, but it was mm, fairly lackluster, to be honest. Had no new content and talked about how to use orders. And even that was um, not that great, if I'm being truly honest. So let's just pass over that. Similarly, how we're going to pass over the recent articles in The White Dwarf because of their rules and accuracy. I get Games Workshop is really trying to sell this part of the hobby, and they are aiming for a wider audience. But I am slightly annoyed by rules and accuracies in their own game. It doesn't help the community as a whole. Anyway, that's enough of that, and I'm going to move on. So that's the actual Games Workshop news. I'm going to touch on some community news for a minute, and by that I basically mean news about myself. Uh, this week I was able to get a game of Titanicus in for the first time in about a month. I had a friend come around my house and play on my new gaming table. Uh, it was really good fun. Um Got in a 1750-point game. Took us a good three hours to play through. We were taking it nice and slow. Um, played my 
Fire Moth that's just Legio Astorum, because I wanted to see Legio Astorum rules in action. And uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, we used a match play rule pack uh, rather than the pack in the, the rules in the core game. And I really enjoyed them. I'm going to talk about them more at length next week. Um, yeah, great game, great company. Really glad to pour some dice again. Also, on that note, I'm going to take a moment now to talk about the Iron Halo. The Iron Halo is happening in less than a month. Um, it's crept upon me, and I'm basically ready for it. I have got my event pack written out. It should be going out to the players here soon, as soon as I get confirmation from the event organizer that it's good for the prime time. I have three tables to train built, and that's going to be all the tables we're going to have at Titanicus this year. Uh, after looking at what we've got and the player signups and the general conditions of the world, uh, we decided to limit the event scale down from the planned five tables with ten players, just down to three with a maximum of six. Uh, much smaller event, we can space people better. It will be better based on the current conditions. Now, my own attendance at the event is still up in the air. I haven't booked a hotel room yet, and I have a plan to have someone else there if I cannot make it. I am currently working a pretty high-risk job as far as COVID-19 exposure is, and I'm hoping that by the time the halo rolls around a couple of weeks before, the outbreak in my local area will have dropped to a point where I can make it. I'm paying pretty close attention to the CDC numbers, and I'm not going to risk going if the exposure chance is too high. But based on some conversations I've had with health professionals, I think it's probably going to be manageable here in a week or two. Just about. And finally, this week's episode is going to skip my coverage of a narrative mission. Uh, my interview with Henry is fairly long, and I want to give it the focus of the episode. So I'm going to roll into that right now. So I met Henry on the Bolter and Chainsword Forum, and I was immediately impressed by his depth of tactical knowledge he displays in many places on the forum, and his fantastic storm collection. I knew pretty early on I wanted to cover Legio Astorum this season, and as soon as I sat down and thought about it, I decided to reach out to Henry and see if he would want to come on the show to talk about his collection, and then his thoughts on playing Titanicus in a more competitive way, and just his thoughts in general. Um, the conversation I had with him was great. Uh, he's a really intelligent fellow. Um, I encourage everyone to go and look at the threads and the links I've got in the show notes. His um, tactics conversation on the Bolter and Chainsword is really good. Um, some quality content, and uh, it's well worth the time it takes to read it. Anyway, I'll let you listen to yourselves. Um, one thing I will say before I let the uh, conversation roll is this is the first time I sat down and did a recording with someone. Uh, I know I've had two of them up already and this is the third one but this was the first one i recorded and it was recorded before the defense of riser book was published um yeah so please understand if the conversations are a little meandering it's i'm getting better about it but i learned a lot doing this having this conversation and future ones are a lot more structured so with all that said let me introduce henry chown and uh i'll be taking it away with straight into conversations about legio astorum Just a quick editor's note. I had to do some audio editing to the whole interview. Um, I think I got the filters a little wrong for the first five minutes or so, and it sounds a little bit echoey like he's on the phone. Uh, this clears up fairly quickly, so just bear with it. Uh, I'm learning more about Audacity with every single episode, so yeah, thanks. Okay, so let's start at the top. Um, what drew you to collect Legio Astorum? Sure. So um, really, it was reading the Titan Death book, uh, which came out very shortly after I started making uh, Titans. So I'd actually bought a few. I got the Grandmaster Edition and the um, Battle Group set. And I was actually painting them sort of just dark blue with gold trim. Um, it was I was going to do my own sort of homebrew legio um back then there weren't very many rules for actual legios uh, so you only had the kind of griffonicus and tempestus ones in the core book um and so yeah i thought let's go for this um 
painted quite a lot of other stuff blue before, so I felt like I could do a quite good job of it. Um, I paint uh, Crimson Fist in 40k. Um, but then when I saw the kind of proper scheme for Astorum, a few things sort of, I, I just really liked it. I, I thought it was, I liked the num the amount of different sort of patterns and things you had on the um, on the armor. So you, you've got like flames, you've got these weird kind of astronomical symbols, check patterns, stripes, and all sorts of things. Pretty, I looked at sort of pictures of them in all the various different publications. It felt like you could do almost anything with these guys. Um, so I thought that would be quite fun. It would be fun to have an army where every model was kind of individual in that way. Um, and also, I have to say, the, looking at the rules for them, I thought that they would be a fun army to play. Um, I really liked the War March ability where you can move a bit faster and the extra uh, re-rolls to repair dice. Um, I really like the Warlord Titan, and both of those things really favor the Warlord Titan, I think, you know, helping get around its slow speed and really making the most of its reactor, you know, two re-rolls. It's almost yeah, no. you know, like having six dice um, a lot of the time. So you, you talked about um, the War March. Do you use it on any... What's your feeling on it with Titans that aren't the Warlord? Do you use many of the non-Warlord Titans? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the um, when talking about this strat, it's worth talking about the FAQ that came out for it. Um, mm -hmm. So... Uh, when it first started, it was like you just you had to roll the two reactor dice whenever you uh, and you when you move, and then you can move two additional inches in past your boosted speed. So it means like a warlord can go eight inches, a reaver can go eleven, warhound fourteen. Um, basically, and and now that's changed so that so that you have so that any time you roll a reactor dice on the first two turns. Like if you've done this in your movement phase and then you fire a volcano cannon or you push for your shields or whatever, then you, you always have to roll two dice and pick the worst one. So uh, that starts to get, that's a really different story. And that really alters a lot of things. What you, what you want to put on your Titans and you know the maniples you run even, um, because you don't want to be doing this. You don't want to be rolling two dice and picking the worst one. Um, you, uh, particularly because like the machine spirit is deemed to be the worst result. So you end up with your if, with your titans going a bit nuts and it's, and yeah. doing all sorts of silly stuff. So, um, so what that means, coming back to your question, like basically, the bigger a titan is, the more likely you are to want to put war march on it. That's because it's going to have the slower speed to start with, so it's going to sort of gain more out of the ability it proportionally you know for a warlord to go up to eight inches is a really big deal for a warhound to go from like 12 to instead 14 probably isn't like that's that's not such a big change and on the other hand the warhound is penalized way more for this thing of rolling extra reactor dice um it makes it more likely it's going to get a double and blow out its own yeah. shields um and its its command value is much worse, so it's much more likely to do something crazy if you get a machine spirit roll. Um, so my general approach is I do it a lot with warlords. I try and actually avoid putting draining weapons on my warlords because of this thing. And then okay. I so I'm not a big fan of the bellicosa on a warlord if I think I'm ever going to war march it. It's very good for reavers that you want to get into melee. Um, so I do that quite a lot. But ideally, what I would do then is try for that reaver to be the uh, princeps seniores so that it's got like the two up command value. So it's likely to pass its command check to charge and if it's, if it's uh, machine spirit uh, tries to take control. So it's all about like, what can I do to mitigate this risk? Um, one thing that's quite fun is the um, the rupture maniple. So that's this one, this one with the warbringers and the reavers. Um, you can do it with the warbringers, and it helps a fair bit because they only they're not super fast. Um, but it also you can have a reaver go faster without having to roll any reactor dice. So you can actually have it war march, and you won't have to roll roll any reactor dice at that for the movement. But you will then have to do it if someone shoots at you and you want to push your, your shields and stuff like that. Um, so, but it, it's that's quite a nice 
little trick. I, I'm actually working on my second Warbringer at the moment to try and get that um, mana pool running because, you know, if we ever get to actually get around tables again and play each other, I think that will be a really fun one to run. Um, but I, I do think, I suppose, like, as a store, I'm like figuring out your way around this War March ability is is quite central to them because it's it's obviously it's one of your two main things but it is this double-edged sword where worst case your own titans blow up um and that's that's actually you know that was my foot my first game using it that was what was happening like titans were knocking out their own shields and stuff and i learned my lesson i suppose, <laughs> a, I suppose a savvy uh, opponent will target you trying to make you push your shields to generate you generate that extra heat as well because uh, i hadn't I hadn't considered that until you mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's a that's quite a problem there." Definitely, okay. and I mean, there's um, something you can do about this. I mentioned mana pools, um, so I like to play a uh, the Regia mana pool where you've got warlords and warhounds together. So one of the things you can do there is have the um, is they're the same speed. If if the re warlord is war marching then the Warhound can just walk along without pushing its reactor at all and go next to it, and then they can share their shields. So this allows you, when you get shot at, you can push the Warhound's reactor. It hasn't war-marched, so it doesn't have to roll two dice. Um, and you can do the, you know, merging shields lets you do various tricks where you're kind of rolling the saves for one and or the other and all this sort of thing. So, so you can protect yourself a bit from the damage there with that one. And I think with the Fortis Maniple and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was looking at both of those as like the ideal Maniple for the Legio Storum. Um, it's mostly the next uh, trait, the Veteran Princeps, with the, the ability to get those extra rerolls, anything to help keep those shields up, which is my concern with the Regia. As soon as you lose shields, you're in a real bad position. You are, yeah, um, but I tend to find that you don't you don't lose them anything like as fast as you would if you didn't have the ability to to share. Because uh, because what any time you've got two titans sharing shields, um, what that does, you know, you you're always vulnerable to just a rubbish roll. You know, you roll the dice and you get three twos in there or something, or one of your titans shields can fall away really fast. Any you know having two sharing just gives you a bit of sort of insulation against that kind of problem. It gives you a second chance. And I think that that can be hugely useful. Um, and, and actually, something I do, I mentioned not really taking draining weapons very much. I do this to kind of lean into this advantage. So, you know, I'm already getting these rerolls on, on um, servitor clades so that I'm going to be able to kind of cool down more heat and repair more shields. By So then I... I I try and just do, only do that. So, like, not spend any of my servitors' time, you know, blowing on a bellicose volcano cannon to cool it down. Just not take them. Take take macro uh, Gatling cannons and things like that, where, um, you know, they're not draining any power. So, so, so doubling up essentially that advantage of the shields being like super tough. You don't have to do it that way, but that's that's come to be my preference. It's like. Um, I don't want to be making machine spirit rolls and things like this and, and putting heat into my reactor and when I can just be as tough as possible. So Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just want to take a few moments to talk about the stratagems, really. I mean, they seem okay to me. Um, they are both two-pointers, which can be a large part of your stratagem budget. Uh, do you use them much? I use machine defiance quite a lot. Yeah, I, I would tend to take that. Um, I find that again, you know, that that it's 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 um, it almost feels like pretty mean. You know, if someone finally knocks down the shields of a warlord, and then you bring a couple back online again. Um, I, I actually had a, a game in the uh, Warhammer World and someone knocked the shields down on one of my warlords and i got all four success you know you roll four a dice and on a five you get a shield back all four came back online and i just thought oh, it felt a bit bad really because this this guy actually spent you know two reavers were shooting at this warlord for the whole game and its shields apart from that they never went down it just stood there um so um i mean obviously sometimes it doesn't work um but it usually does usually you're looking at someone's trying to knock your shields down and it's just such a difference if you've got one shield, even when someone wants to shoot with their bellicosa, 
and you take it on that shield instead of on your armor. It's um, so I find that one really fantastic, and the other one I don't. I can't remember what it even does. Um, <laughs> I think it's something about like, yeah, is it weapons back online? I'm gonna have to look that up. Like it, it's something. For the duration of the damage control phase after you've activated it, it's kind of so, yeah, that's right. So it's like it reduces the repair. Do- yeah, this seems so such so situational to me. Like so mm-hmm. hypothetically, if if several of my titans were damaged in the same place, then you know, really, am I going to spend two CPs to be marginally better than that? Um, it, it, so, especially because because it's not something you can predict is going to happen. So I can predict that some of my one of my Titan's shields is going to go down, um, and I want to play Machine Defiance. Like if that doesn't happen, I win already, probably, don't I? <laughs> like if all my Titans. So so I'm not going to be too unhappy that if none of my shields ever Titans ever loses its shields. But this other one is like, well, hmm. it's it's a hard one to plan for, and that's what you need to do it, with stratagems. You know, you need to say, yeah. It would be really nice if it was a one-point stratagem. <laughs> like, I'd, it, yeah, I would think about putting it in my back pocket if I had perhaps a. Well, yeah, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't actually help with the war, Warbringer because they've got that specialist on their pop guard based weapon. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. it's, it's. I have to say, this is something I think is kind of slightly prevalent in the Titan Death book. I think as the sort of mm-hmm. first book they brought out, there are a few kind of abilities you look through that are head scratches, frankly, that you look mm-hmm. at and you go, well, what is this even supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I get what this is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you, but, you know, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a strategy someone else gets that's just like, have an extra oh. res- servitor clade in your whole repair phase or something mm-hmm. like that, which, you know, okay, um, more Daxis or someone I think has something like that. Like, something pretty- fairly straightforward that just works. Whereas this you're looking yeah. at and kind of going, well, it's so situational. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually people will focus down a single Titan, right? So um, it's quite rare to have multiple Titans with crits in the same place. It happens, but not, you know, that's not what people are trying to do. They're trying to kill one of them and move on. So, uh, yeah, I don't take that one. Um, but I'm pleased to be reminded of what it actually does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just really reading. I think there is an argument that you could use it to repair a set of legs if you try to do an objective where you've got to get someone off the table. Sure, that's an interesting... Yeah, so mission-specific, I need to keep this guy's legs running. Yeah, so it's that sort of thing. Um, yeah, even then, you know, yeah. You just stick blind barrage on them for one point instead, don't you? There's, there's like a million things you could do. Instead. Um, <laughs> so um, that's the trouble if, if it was... Anyway. Okay. Um, I suppose rounding out the actual sort of your thoughts on the rules, um, what's your take on the personal traits? We don't need to go through them all. Do you have a particular one you like, or do you just go from the core rulebook ones? I generally roll on. Well, it depends if I'm. I I, lo- I would love to use these because I think that it feels kind of like the appropriate thing to be doing. However, like like one of these is is quite fun. Like Hero of the Crusade is a cool thing. Then as long as the princeps is is the closest uh, of your models to the enemy, you get plus one to the whole mana pool's command checks. That's really nice. Um, I can see a lot of, you know, running something like a Ferox mana pool where that's my princeps seniors' trait, and then you get all the Warhounds to have better command value. That's actually quite, quite a good ability. I think it's sort of... There's there's similar stuff in the in the stand in the standard table. There's one where you get to re-roll a command check. So it's debatable which of them is better. Probably the re-roll, to be honest. Um, there's there's one which is like hilariously bad. The the sort of, and the ancient MIU. MIU, yes. Um, so instead of having my princeps Senores take a command check to give himself an order, I can just roll the order dice and see what happens. Yeah, which is uh like yeah I, this is one of these ones where you look at and go they never must have done this <laughs> like can you yeah. imagine taking a warlord titan and just randomly rolling to see what it would do given bearing in mind that you've got a two up command value so you can almost always pass your command check right and do what you actually want um so you're going instead i mean they've now faq'd this so that at least you don't have to take a shutdown result if you happen to roll that so that's nice I I really I really wish they'd sneak an FAQ in to allow you to use it if someone plays a Vox Blackout or something. Sure, 
Exactly. Yeah. Like, or something. Give it some reason why you'd ever. I don't think I'd do it even then. I... <laughs> but like, because <laughs> it's just like going on, say, oh, full yeah. stride orders when you want to shoot, and now you can't at all. For that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, so. Ugh. That, but that's fun. And then you've got the Reckless Hubris one, which is quite interesting, where you can fire a broken damage, but if you want to take a strength 12, it hurts your body. Cool. So I like, I quite kind of like that ability as well. Never actually come up, to be honest. But um, yeah, the, but I just... I can see myself using that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So two of the three you could use. One of them is just extraordinary, uh, but that's fine. Um, and and actually, to be honest, you know, I, might, I won't moan about that, but Astorum have clearly one of the more powerful sets of wall of um, legio traits, so I don't want to seem as if I'm coming across as ungrateful or whatever. But I just think that ancient MIU is funny. Um, yeah, yeah. No, the with machine defiance and veteran princeps, they have a strong bedrock to build themselves on, uh, despite the weird utility of war march. Uh, I find war march to be a it's a blessing and a curse, but. It changes. It, it changes the way you have to play, which is what I, I like seeing in a Titan Legion. I like seeing the, the ideas that this Legion's going to play completely different, and they will. Well, exactly, and I, I don't mind at all that it's got a downside with it in a way, um, because as you say, it's it's something you have to think about before you do, and I think that that makes it for an, an interesting challenge as a player um, to, you know, make some decisions and take some risks, and you get a reward in exchange for doing that. So yeah, I think that's exactly that's actually what how I would love to see all the other Legio traits work. Really, well, not all of them need to have a downside, but but that sort of um, that thing where, as you, exactly as you say, you know, it makes them an individual Legio that plays differently. Yeah, I want to be able to when they someone plays them to know that they're playing that Legion just by seeing how they're acting on the table. Sure, they've got they've got to add enough flavor to change change the nature of the game. Okay. Um, well, before we move on to talking about the events you participated in, um, what advice would you have for actually people collecting and hobbying? Uh, your models I've looked on the forums are absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, feel free to talk about it. Okay, painting a storm. Right. So uh, the interesting thing about storm, you've basically your two colours, like yellow and blue. I feel very different about. Like everyone really worries about painting yellow. No one's worried about painting blue. Um, I and I think um, it's take. I've actually painted quite a lot of yellow. I played Seventh uh, Legion Horus Heresy, so Imperial Fists, um, and I painted a lot of stuff yellow for that. What I've found actually since having those is that the Wraithbone spray that came out with uh, the kind of contrast range is a really good undercoat for yellow. So I find if I spray my armor panels, the ones that are going to be yellow, I spray them Wraithbone. Uh, and then I use, I think it's Aerial Yellow, um, which is a layer paint. And that goes over the top of the Wraithbone really nicely. And you get a very, very bright yellow color. Um, that's what I go for. Now, um, some people prefer a much more kind of beaten up and weathered look. But um, I wanted my Astorum guys to be kind of flashy, basically. Um, so that's what I use for either areas that are just going to be yellow, like the heads and some of the shoulder pads and stuff. And then for the f- areas with flames, I that's the kind of first coat. Um, and then I'll do kind of a transition, a blended transition up to a sort of an orange, like wild red, a red um, on the flames. Um, okay, yeah. Be, just across that panel, so it'll start yellow and go all the way to orange. And then... Um, Flames, there's lots of ways I've seen people doing flames. So um, so I don't actually airbrush. Um, I use kind of a lot of um, Lamian medium to blend mm-hmm. with with a brush. Um, so I've seen people get great results with uh, sort of a, a, a template for, for flames. And that gives you quite a nice sort of regular pattern. Um, I think Painting flames is really interesting because, and you get them on loads of different titans, not just a storum. Um, Ignatum is the most of it, and um, Furians and others. So, um, and I, I'd love to see all the different ways people have gone about doing that. Um, I don't know that my way is best, um, but might as well say what it is. Um, which yeah. so I I um I draw the pattern onto the panel in pencil before I paint okay. it, 
Um, and I found that that helps is just to be, uh, and I, I actually had a go kind of just drawing on a piece of paper to sort of figure out how I wanted the flames to look before I started drawing on, on the model itself. Um, because, and I do this, I find I can sort of go, you know, use the shape of the armor panel a bit more than I could if I was using a, a template or, or a stencil, because those tend to be great for if you've just got a straight line you can work across. But um, you've got all sorts of panels that are funny shapes. I'm, I'm looking at this Warbringer right now, for instance, and it's um, like the panels on its kind of shoulders are, are strange, yeah, you know, curves and all sorts of things going on. So, um, so you know, you you if you're doing it yourself, you can kind of figure out roughly where you want the line to go, line of the flames to go, and then you can draw them on, um, and then paint on the blue over the top of that. Um, I do something very similar uh, when I'm painting my orcs. Um, I draw on. There's one other thing I do, which is any alum panels that aren't going to be yellow, I actually spray uh, Retributor armor. Um, so I can just paint the blue in. Uh, so I've got, I, I, you know, painting trim is one of the big bugbears of pretty much everyone who plays Titanicus, I think. And so I find it a lot easier actually sometimes to paint like the blue or whatever other color in to the gap, you know, rather than to paint the, the um, trim all the way around the outside. So I think that's almost cheating, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it gets you away from so much. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically how I go about it. Um, and if you're really building a Titan for the first time, just watch out for those Reaver Titan feet, because they will get you. <laughs> Even if you're building Reaver for the fifth time, they get you. It's not a beginner's kit at all. Um, yeah, I think the Reaver is, I don't know, it's hard, somehow the hardest of them all. Um, it's because I don't, it's because the original Reaver wasn't a CAD model, I think, because the big 40k scale Reaver they made in Putty the old style way. Right. So they okay. rebuilt it completely when, and the, but they were trying to maintain the consistency with that model. I just, it just led to a weird, weird Titan. I love it, but it's not, Yeah. it doesn't feel like any of the other kits. I think that's right. It does, um, yeah. And and the Warbringer, for instance, gives you. It has. It's actually a very close fit. Some of the, mm -hmm. the bits, like the Reaver around the feet, but because it gives you kind of um, guiding studs, you know, where you can put your bit, the, the feet on and stuff. Uh, and everything's actually labelled. So they've said, oh, this is your left foot. This is your right foot, and so on. Um, actually, on the piece, it makes it much easier to get it right. I think the yeah so the reavers. But, yeah. I, I don't I don't fear assembling a warbringer while drinking. I do a reaver. So the events you've been a part of um, your first big event. Well, I say big event. You took the Aurostorum down to the Blood and Glory event in 2019. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, actually, there was an event I went to before then. So I went to a okay. thing in Brighton. It was a small thing where there were five of us there. Um, I think it was the Dice Saloon. Um, so some guys there were organising things. So we had a little, um, we had a couple of games in the morning, and then we played a five-player game in the afternoon, which was great fun. Uh, we did the, oh, yeah. um, did this scenario game from Titan Death, actually, the one where you're storming a hive city, um, and we did that because the points values were three thousand versus two thousand, so like three players versus two, seventeen fifty, with um, all lords attacking and versus uh you know slightly fewer people defending um so that that was really fun I, I i've tried a couple of these big multiplayer games of titanicus and it works reasonably well actually um but uh so but blood and glory um i suppose that was the mo the first sort of big organized event at a major and that i'd been to um yeah and it was this big event with a small titan you know mainly people playing for type 40k but this small titanicus thing going on and and also horus heresy there was aos there were probably other things i didn't even notice it, it was a massive it, blood and glory is actually great and i would recommend going to it um they they had fun stuff like a seminar from the studio guys from games workshop uh that were there and um all sorts of fun things great atmosphere um all the things you know actually in a good venue good food all of those sorts of things and that really matters when you're spending two days at an event um, my phone. Um, but so for the Titanicus, we actually did um, 
we played three games on the Saturday, all at 17.50. And then on the Sunday, we all got together and played a big um, six-player game. So, um, so again, it, was, it, it wasn't it was a tournament. Um, I don't know that no, there have been... It's not really the game for it. Well, actually, that, that's an interesting question point, point uh, which I'm not... Let's, we'll come back to that. Yeah, we can come back to that. Um, I, it, it, but it is fair to say it works very well as a narrative game. So you have... Yeah. Um, so, so actually, the first, uh, first couple of games we did were just sort of the standard match play thing. But then we did one of the, another one of the scenarios out of um, Titan Death. Um, it was one where there's a big pylon in the center of the board and the heretics were trying to defend it. It was quite an interesting thing because they could trigger this massive solar flare and blind the loyalists. Um, which uh, which which was unhelpful, frankly. Once they'd done that, <laughs> um, so and it was an interesting thing because the loyalist mission was to get to the middle of the board, but then when they triggered the solar flare, it was like, oh dear, everything's gone wrong. We can't see, and the objective changes. So instead of tr you're initially trying to get as many models as possible to the middle, but then when they chain they trigger the flare, you're trying to get as many models as possible off the board edge, and um, and so and also. The kind of initial deployment was very beneficial to the for, to the loyalists. Um, so the the traitors were actually deployed basically in the middle of this um, of the board, and then loyalists can deploy anywhere outside of I think twelve inches of them or so. So a very different scenario to what you're used to with the kind of matched play or whatever you call it, the sort of standard games. Um, you know, instead of being lined up, we, we're very used to sort of seeing titans in shallow deployment zones typically six inches deep so th starting about three feet apart facing off each other in a more or less straight line whereas this mission you were start you were playing with you know scat titans just all over the place um pointing in every direction and that was uh, very different um i must say quite benefit it quite favored the astorum um mm -hmm. rules um, and i was up against a very shooty um enemy list and that had, with like two two bellicosa warlords in it um so he really didn't want me behind him <laughs> um you know and yeah. charging at him and stuff like that I, I had i brought my um power claw warlord to that and he was having a fun time um yeah. chasing things around the place um but on other tables you had uh the middle of the board was defended by um rude James, I think his name's, uh, yeah. he had his um, knights there. So you don't particularly want to deploy 12 inches away from a, a knight uh, oh. army um, because they'll all charge you straight away. And it's not much fun if you want to try and get to the middle of the board when they're there. And also the other traitor guy had a very melee-focused titan force. So um, <laughs> so it was quite interesting. I, I, I found most of the games I've played have been the sort of standard scenario but actually some of the narrative ones really shake things up and are very interesting to play um so i'd definitely encourage checking those out um, yeah I, my experience with them is they're generally pretty fun providing the they don't have hugely imbalanced forces mm. a couple of them have like 2500 points against 1000 and the writing's on the wall right at the start of that game and it's it's an uphill battle for the defender and it's not in my experience, the games I've played haven't been that fun. Right. I haven't tried one of those ones. Um, it, that, that was slightly the case. So when we did the big game in Brighton, which was 3,000 versus 2,000 or whatever, it was, that did result in, um, you know, basically the, the, the defenders getting wiped out. And, um, and that's, yeah, you, you don't necessarily want to see that. I, I think that might have been partly because we were playing with an even bigger points value than it was designed for. So it was almost sort of five and a bit thousand versus 3,500 or something. So, um, you know, you could put a lot of firepower into into an individual Titan. Um, it's, it's one of the things actually about this game is that as you raise the size of the game, the Titans, I think, perform a little bit differently um, because you've got more firepower available in total, it becomes easier to drop an, an engine in a single combat phase. 
Um, yes. And that means that abilities that help you repair, so for instance, the Astorum rerolls on Servitor Clades, they may never be relevant because your Titan's already dead um, before it gets around to doing any repairs. Um, so you've got... Um, so, so yeah, that's... I don't know what... You, that's fine. It's It's not the end yeah. of the world about the game but it does like it makes it very hard to sort of advance warhounds across the table in a six thousand point game because someone's yeah. going to see them and get a fire arc on them and, and that's going to be bad news yeah i am I, um, I sort of don't like going much above 1700 these days like i've 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 done the three thousand point game but they always seem to end up in that sort of titan removed here titan removed there's there isn't the interaction you usually get in a smaller game um yeah i I think that's fair, actually. I think the um, 1750 is a good spot. I've paid... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- there'll still be games I want to throw all my toys on the table, but yeah, it's as soon as you go above that point, I feel like you lose something from the game. Definitely. And, and I think, to be fair, that happens to a lot of game systems. It's not just about AT, but um, yeah, I think 1750 is a great place for it. Um, and diff- different Titans are different are good at different levels so um you wouldn't want a warlord in a 500 point game where it's your only model you have one activation it just wouldn't be much fun um so um but i like to squeeze in as many as i can in 1750 so i brought three a myrmidon manipul with three warlords and a reaver at 1750 and that's quite amusing um okay um do you want to briefly touch on the legion walks sure um so this was at Warhammer World, and it was a five-day, five-game, two-day event, uh, sort of narrative campaign. It was much, much bigger than uh, Blood and Glory, um, and I think the first thing about this ge- this weekend was like the standard of models on display was just incredible. Um, so I, I've I've been coming to all sorts of events for. 20 years plus and this blew away anything i'd ever seen um in terms of like the the quality of the of the paint jobs and the modeling and stuff that people had done just for you know everywhere you look there were you know model armies that would win best painted you know prizes at most events you took them to they and so um at lunchtime when everyone laid out their sort of their 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 maniples and battle groups to, to, to see it was just a privilege to kind of walk around and see them all um so that was really awesome no um, those uh tabletop standard guys did a video of just walking mm. around those tables and they are just it you're right it's the high watermark of the hobby so far for the titanicus i love it yeah absolutely yeah. just really impressive stuff yeah. um and then uh the in terms of the games um so i got to play against uh five really great opponents i played rue actually again with his knights in the fifth game uh which was really nice um he came away actually i think with loads of the prizes i think he won sportsmanship and painting prizes and all sorts of things um there um it was all so all five missions of this were um different narrative scenarios that they'd actually designed for the event um so you and they were not the same points value so you had um games at 1500 and 2000 points and um so interesting in a lot of ways not the points values i'm used to playing at and you had to bring battle groups that worked for all sorts of different ways so obviously useful to have magnetized um your stuff um and again i was finding that you, you, this thing of the different deployment types, whether it was, um, you know, being surrounded, trying to defend objectives in the middle, which was one of the missions. Uh, there was another one where the enemy were just trying to get all their models off the off your board edge to just race over. Um, and then the kind of the question, the, it was all decided on sort of which uh, overall faction was winning. So you know, you 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 fed in your result of whether you won or lost for the loyalists or the traitors but then it was like you know your individual performance wasn't the point it was how did the um faction as a whole do um so yeah and um it was really cool i did lose my first game i um i had a 
a Reaver Titan was had its legs shot off by some Titan Killer infantry, rather rather annoyingly, um, and then it it proceeded to blow up. Its reactor went critical, um, hopefully killing the Titan Killer infantry, but also killing my Warlord Titan, which <laughs> in a thousand point game uh, didn't left me let that left me with a Warhound. Um, and that was not ideal. Um, so yeah, that I, that didn't go too well. But uh, my wall, both of them were. They, all my titans were quite badly damaged, and I'd already knocked out an enemy warhound, and I think his reaver. But it was well, his reaver was knackered. But um, uh, that was that was not a great moment. Um, I was very cross with those titan killer infantry. Um, I did actually managed to win the rest of the games, though. Um, I think I was one of only two loyalist players to win the this mission where we had there was one where um, yeah we were deployed in the middle and the traitors were coming at us they could deploy anywhere around the edge of a four four by four board and we were trying to defend sort of four objectives that was so hard because <laughs> you've got um you know if you want to you had to stand on these objectives or the tra traitors would burn them and that meant you just stood there for like you know knights and everything else charging you um so that was pretty harsh um I I very much valued my oh yeah and I, I brought a, a a warlord with a claw and it just it was just an idiot in that game it it failed a command check to charge on turn one uh, nice to be able to charge on turn one it must be said um, but then it uh, and then on turn two it passed its command check to charge and then proceeded to fail a machine spirit test to push its reactor and just stand there so uh, it, that was after having faced away from what it was facing, it's fighting, so it could charge some warhounds, and then it just didn't. So I was very cross with it, um, but I did manage to hold them off this, off the objectives. Um, the other warlord that uh, that was the game actually in which the, I had a warlord titan get back all four shields from Machines Defiance. Um, so it defended one of these objectives under fire from two Reaver titans, killed one of the Reaver titans, and just tanked it the whole game. That was nice awesome. Dramatic. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, I suppose the obvious question that needs to be asked about Legion of Walks, and it's a bit of a theme for this series, is terrain. Um, obviously, when the event hit, uh, everyone was watching it from around the globe, and a lot of comments were made about the amount of terrain on the table. Um, I was in the minority thinking that it looked like there was an adequate amount for the games they were trying to run. Um, I'm trying to argue that we need to reduce the amount of gate terrain on a lot of Titanicus tables at the moment. I think the dense city fight is nice but it's not it doesn't present titanicus in the best form it actually slows the game down makes it a lot more complicated to play complicated games are tiring so you don't usually end up playing as much of it yada 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 um what were your thoughts and feels of playing on a, those tables so i think i broadly agree with you i i think it felt fine um there was terrain there so the thing about the thing is you you there was sufficient terrain that if you wanted to put something into cover, you could. Um, you, you know, there weren't hundreds of buildings around, but you could go and stand behind one of them because they were there. Um, it might have been a bit harder to sort of actually advance far across the board, um, taking cover all the way. But it actually wasn't impossible. Um, so I didn't think it was too little. I, I think, honestly, you could have done with more than there was, 50% more or so. Um, but then, I mean, honestly, I give the guys at Warhammer World credit for producing however many it was, 30 or more tables for Identicus Titanicus at relatively short notice, you know. So they, they, the, the, the um, event sold out twice. Uh, and there's, there's just, you know, for all that they are Games Workshop and they have a certain amount of, they have a lot of resources as a company, the guys at Warhammer World are a reasonably small team, actually. And they, they had, you know, done, a good effort in, in, in churning out stuff. And the, the, the quality of it was very good, actually. It was very well painted and stuff. Um, I was at the London Grand Tournament the other year where we were playing on unpainted uh, polystyrene on some of the tables and things like this. Um, and, I mean, you'd never... That was an extreme rarity. And it has to be said, the LGT did a great job last year of producing really nice-looking tables, so they did turn that around. But, um, but what I'm saying is... It was actually nice to play on nice looking boards all for all the fact that, that yes, they were a bit bare. Um, 
your point about you can have too much terrain, I think is definitely true, though. Um, I think particularly you don't want to stop people moving, which I think is what you can end up doing with, with too much terrain. You, you know, the, the Titans have a big footprint. You generally can't actually end your turn in anything. You know, you're, you're, you, have, you can cross over some buildings, but you can't stop on them. And so, you know, you don't want to create a situation where because of there being too much stuff, people can't move around, people can't get at each other. Um, and you end up then with sort of these slightly unsatisfying games where, no one, you know, you just fail to engage because you can't, you know, or, you know, there's, there's not, it can even be a problem if there's too few routes through for, an, for a melee army. You know, it looks like there's loads of terrain, so that's good. But actually, because everyone has to kind of funnel through some choke point, it makes life very easy for the other guy who's trying to shoot them as they come on. So um, I definitely think there's a right balance to be found. I Yeah, so so basically with that, I think they did fine. I, I You know, yes, we could have done with more terrain, but, you know, I've started painting some Titanicus terrain and it takes time. Uh, so um, the kit's not that easy to build, it has to be said. And uh, yeah, so I've every sympathy with them and I think they did us a good, Good job, you know. As a, it was a great week, great weekend, basically. Yeah, the games were fun. That's what matters, and that's sort of what I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge, you know, how much scenery is needed for a fun game. And the answer is not as much as people make it out to be. Um, it is also true with the scenarios being different that affects the terrain you need. So this one where you're defending those four objectives and enemies coming from every direction, well, you're never going to be able to hide that well in that situation. So. You know, you didn't need so much terrain for that. Wouldn't have done you much good if it was there. Um, but some of the others, maybe, you know, the mission... It, one, the criticism I would actually have was I don't know if these scenarios were all that well tested. And certainly the... Um, they, they, you know, because we could pretty much tell, like, who which faction was winning, that sort of told you how how well designed the, the, the missions were. And... I think, as I said, there was one that mission where I think only two of us on the loyalist side out of thirty odd were able to win. That shows you that probably um, probably things weren't quite right. And there was in reverse um, the mission where the traitors had to get across the board. I think only two of them won, and one of those was the knights, uh, where they just went full stride with everything. So on two turns, <laughs> so they just literally went. You know, turn one, move 24 inches, turn two, off the board. Um, and you need to get 500 points over. So, uh, so you know, that's, they won it, but probably wasn't a brilliant game because um, <laughs> the other guy yeah, won shooting phase. Um, so, you know, it, the, I think, but again, you know, I, well, I, don't, I don't know why they didn't just like play through the missions in one of the campaign books or something like that instead of trying to make up their own ones. That's what I would do. I'd do a weekend based around, you know, the new Riser book and go, great, we're going to actually play the Riser campaign. Um, that would be how I'd do it myself. Let's tiptoe into that rabbit hole we almost touched on earlier. Um, competitive uh, with Titanicus. I've generally been sort of, and wasn't on our notes, but I think it's a interesting discussion to finish with. Um, I've generally tried to pull away from the competitive side of Titanicus. I think it's not competitive, but I would. I don't know. I, I'm not sure where the balance is, which is my concern. So that's an interesting question. So, like, I'm very much like a tournament player. I've played tournaments of uh, loads of them for 40k, also things like X Wing, um, you know, AOS, you name it. And um, I like them, and I, I, I know not everyone does, and that's fine. Um, but I think um, Titanicus has some of the things you would look for in a, in a competitive game. And one of the things I really like about it is that a lot of, the, it feels to me at least, like a lot of what happens in a Titanicus game is actually due to what you as a player do. So you as a player are making real decisions around, particularly around the movement of your Titans, you know, every turn you do, all of these sorts of things. It feels a lot to me, actually, like a game like X-Wing in this way, where, you know, the movement is so key. And I really like that. And, you know, I'd contrast this with 40k, where right now, um, the amount of firepower your armies might have. Like, I, I went to the finals of the 
UK Grand Tournament, like at Warhammer World for 40k. And, you know, there were games, I, I got lucky in my first three games and went first, and I was killing half my opponent's army, literally. And, you know, there's no, you know, there's no way back from that. But, but also, it just makes the whole exercise feel a bit stupid, because, you know, here we are, both are, you know, we've, we've spent all this money and painted all these models and come to Nottingham for a weekend. And we're playing five games. I'm playing my Crimson Fist against another Imperial Fist guy. We all know the game is being decided by a single dice roll. So how is that justifying the amount of effort we're putting into it? We could both stay at home and flip a coin, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's not always that bad. And the, and the really good players find ways to mitigate that problem in 40k. So I don't want to spend my time crapping on 40k, whatever. But but um, but that's not the experience I have with, with Titanicus. I feel like it's a game that you win or lose because of what you and your opponent chose to do. And that's what I look for in a competitive game. It's like... I won because I'm better, not because I rolled a six and you rolled a five, you know? Um, so so that, at its, at its core, I think that allows you, the, it has the potential, therefore, to be a, a, a competitive game. The, the points you make about balance, yes. Uh, it's an issue, um, and it's an issue that is, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, this, because there's two ways of looking at this. Um, one is it's a problem that the legios are obviously not balanced, right? Um, clearly, some of them are more powerful than others. Fundamentally, at tournaments, you'll get people bring you know in a, that's already the case in games like 40k anyway. So you know some of the chapters of marines are better than others and um, and everything else. So people just bring the better ones to a tournament. Now, is that really a big problem? To, you know, I think that. On one level, it is. You know, if you really want to play Atarus and you go, well, okay, I get to have priority on turn one, maybe, but that doesn't matter basically at all. So <laughs> my traits don't, you know, um, and the other guys, you know, it comes against me with my rerolls and stuff, then that's not fair. Um, but um, it's also not fair in 40k if uh, in, in, in lots of similar situations. So, um, so I don't think that writes off a, a game as competitive um sorry yeah i suppose my real concern with the lack of balance isn't with the legios it's actually with the matched play rules as they are um that's sort of and as i'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it and i'm like you would have to come up with a completely different mission pack to be honest you may want to steal the current 40k one um for the actual core missions um which is more where the, i think the problem lies uh, yeah, I, I, you, you are right about that. Um, and I, to be honest, I actually think the the missions are probably the biggest weakness of Titanicus as a game at the moment. It, it, it does feel a little bit like, you know, those few pages of of the core rulebook are not a bit of the book, not a section where they spent an awful lot of their time uh, on this game. And so there are a series of problems with them, aren't there? Um, one is that they don't scale or that some of them do and some don't so like engage and destroy in a bigger game there's just more points available than if the other person's doing glory and honor you know they it just caps out at 30 um and and yeah clearly they're just not um it's, it's i i tr always try not to take engage and destroy in any i i no, there are no tournaments but if you i will i just think it's in any game system a mission which is just just kill the other t other models well that's like not having a mission in a weird way isn't it because you've always got to do that um you know i really like missions like retrieval uh vital cargo these are cool things um but i you know actually yeah for, so the new 40k missions pack you know where you've got primary missions um secondaries um and a lot of the missions are all about table control more than actual killing as well i think that's a uh... Well, definitely. I mean, there's things I like about it. So um, it is nice that you don't necessarily both have the same mission. Um, so, and that's something that games like 40k have tended to avoid. They've tended to say both be doing the same, you know, you both want to capture the middle or whatever it is, or you've, you've all trying to capture the same four objective or six objective tokens. So in Titanicus, the idea that one of you is trying to get cargo across the line and the other one's trying to rescue a down pilot, I think that's a really nice thing. But maybe not ideal for a if you wanted to try and build it as a competitive system. 
the system they've they've got in 40k where you've got sort of primary mission and then secondaries that you can choose from which they've basically taken from the itc idea um i think that is a nice setup that allows you to both be you know to, to have a bit of the best of both worlds so you could have something like retrieval as a second going on as a secondary mission while you were um yeah yeah trying to yeah no i mean i know a lot of people dislike the itc i i don't do competitive 40k anymore um i don't really have the time but i actually i'm a big proponent of it i mean it's been play tested by the world it's not produced by games workshop if you want a game that's gonna be balanced it's everyone's been involved in doing it yeah, absolutely. Um, I I mean, so it was we used it at the London Grand Tournament last year, and I, I haven't go to, gone to loads of ITC events. Although I did actually go five and zero at the LGT, so that was nice. <laughs> but um, the um, so I guess I figured it out a bit. But the I that I yeah I don't really have a have a comment on like whether it's a good system or not. It's it's it. I think it's been designed with all the best motives. I think. My my one observation, I think, that were there was that it felt like all the missions were very kind of like you were always doing the same mission, in a way. Um, yeah, but and I think that might be the issue with the new forty k, and that you you want to avoid that. I think you want different ones, but then it's different difficult to have multiple really different things and yet for them to be balanced. I suppose. I know. Well, I think we've sort of spiraled through most of the stuff. Um, do you have anything to add about Lydia Storm before we wrap everything up? Um, I guess I didn't when I talked about painting. I didn't talk about doing the astronomical symbols on them. Okay. Um. So, how did you manage those? Uh, great difficulty. Um. So they, but I, so actually, I I'd I'd expected to just leave them out to be honest and just live with the kind of flames and stuff. But then at the Brighton event, I saw someone else playing a storm, and he'd done them. And I just, and it looked so cool uh, to have done this and got, um, so um, I would recommend having a go at this, but also I think it is worth it if you can do this, um, but it's not something I'd recommend for a beginner. Um, try, and I think what I found is I just have to draw the circles in pencil freehand. Um, none of the sort of uh, templates and things I tried would work because they won't sort of sit flat on the panels and things um and also i think if you drew true circles they might not look right anyway because the shape's kind of distorted of the thing you're drawing it on um and then it's just about like paint a layer of those paint a layer of like um alpha and gray and then a layer of white over the top of that on the lines and it's going to be messy and you're going to have to then tidy it up with with blue afterwards um but the, the real trick is you can make a really thin white line if you paint, if you actually paint it quite messily, but then you paint the blue to either side of it. You could, I found like by with some kind of quite thin dark, you know, dark blue paint, I use Cantor blue. Um, it flows quite nicely. You can easily get it to sort of cover the, the white and you can make a really fine white line that way, um, which, which looks quite good. Uh, if you're prepared to spend the time on it, which not many of us are, but um, I think that you, I think you almost owe it as an Astorian player, like because um, you get given these really quite strong rules. So I think you kind of have to put the effort in on the painting. That's that's my take on it. If you just show up with some kind of blue and yellow guys, you know, with no flames and no uh, circles on, yeah. I mean, great, all power to you. And um, everyone should be playing their own hobby and stuff like that. But um, you know, I think uh, personally, I think you, you know they. It, what I like about the Astorum is they really reward you if you go to town on them. So that's quite fun. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, it's been great fun today. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Yeah, pleasure. Good to um, with her on. Yeah, no, it's been good. Okay, I just want to thank Henry again for coming on the show. It was a great conversation. And I really encourage everyone who's listened to this and enjoyed what we talked about today to go and take a look at his stuff on the Bolfrin Chainsword. As I said in the opening, his uh, insights and his tactics thread are really good. Go and read it. I love going to Bolfrin Chainsword site. Uh, 
I know forums are seeing a lot less use these days as people migrate to using other forms of social media. There's something about a forum, just being able to drill down on a subject. Uh, I find Facebook and a lot of the other places have a habit of being distracted. You can only really, you know, post a picture up and then talk about it in the comments. And eventually that entire thread is lost somewhere into Facebook. Everything is findable in the forum. You can go digging through decades of quality content. And the Titanicus subsection of the Voltron Chainsaw is a really great community. They're sharing some wonderful pictures of Titan Titans being put together. They're offering advice to each other. And that tactics thread that Henry uh, was the original poster on and basically moderates himself and lends a very great amount of insight to is fantastic. Uh, give it a read. Go and ask some questions. It's a great community. I encourage you all to listen to it. Go and have a look at it. Anyway, um, that rant aside, just want to thank Henry again. It was a great conversation. I know... The plan was to talk about a storm, and then we sort of wandered into everything about Titanicus. And that was great. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did talking to him uh, and get quite a lot out of it. Um, next week's show is going to be pretty interesting. Um, it's come up a few times now in interviews that people have talked about an unhappiness with the Titanicus match play systems. And a name kept on coming up, um, that of Graham Sanders and his alternate match play system. Uh, I think at some point, every one of my interviews up to this point had, has mentioned it or hinted that it exists. So I reached out to uh, Graham and uh, sat down with him and had a long conversation. And that's going to be next week's show. So I'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine cast a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and in no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights have been intended. All rights are reserved by the respective owners. If you have any questions of the show, please email me at god.engine.cast.gmail.com or reach out to me through Twitter or Facebook. So until next time, I wish you all good fortune.